everybody, this week, three sides of the coin, it's mass hysteria. We're joined by Julian Gill, and we talk all about Kiss in 1980-81, and what started this massive downfall at that point in time, you could say, except for certain regions of the world. But in the U.S., Kiss were basically dead, over, didn't exist, was an embarrassment to be a Kiss fan in this period of time in the U.S., and we talk all about this. This is Three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Visit threesidesofthecoin.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. Guess what? Mark's not here again. Uh, he actually shows up for five minutes to wave at us and then leaves. Yep. But that was absolutely. that was during his rehearsals with Pretty Boy Floyd. So um, God, you gave it away already. I know. Shoot. He doesn't want that news revealed and he'll deny it if you ask him. But yeah, it's true. A, it really a, is true. Lisa is. got him the hookup to play drums for a few dates with Pretty Boy Floyd. And we hate, learned hate today, that we're revealing this. I know, and we learned today that some of you are triggered by a bottle of water. That's that's true. This week, we're just going to get right into it. Julian yeah. Gill from the cesspool or Kiss FAQ joins us to talk all about mass hysteria. His brand new book, all about the world tour, nineteen eighty eighty one. What a great book! What a Fast. It's always great talking with Julian. I mean, he knows so I much. It while we interview him, Tommy it. does buy the copy while we're uh, recording mm-hmm. this, so you'll see this in a little bit. Tommy orders it. Um, but this is incredible, an incredible discussion, especially about the contracts and the changing from Casablanca to Phonogram, Polygram, and what that basically how that started the ball rolling for the entire freaking mess that came after it. So let it roll. Julian Gill, mask hysteria. Three sides of the coin. This is a very rare moment on three sides. Mark (laughs) Cicchini's here. For about five minutes. (laughs) Five minutes. Because he's got to run and download a ton of videos from the cloud real quick. Wink, That's wink, true. nudge, nudge. Yeah. And and so. by the cloud, Mark, that means Mark's going out onto his patio and going to be looking up at the sky going, do Even they the fall out of the sky? Here comes the DVD. All I'm capable of. <laughs> so. Now, as you can see here by, well, the, the, the studious three sides fans know I'm, I'm my back. I'm at work right now. I've got things I got to do. Uh, I, I only, I I I I got a hold of these two or these three actually, just to let one of them know that I think this is the best book that he's done at pure entertainment and information wise. Just so much fun, um, absolutely love 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 it. And the other two idiots, I don't know what you've been told. I don't know what <laughs> glam band I may have uh you know went into or what seafood eating contest or how many times i walked off or the old co-host is coming back whatever they told you is bullshit i've just been super busy traveling and working and, and everything so um 
I just, again, I just wanted to say great job, Julian. I, I really am bummed that I'm missing this show, but. Uh, well, that's right, because I, I appreciate your comments, but they did tell me that I had to come here and fire you myself if I wanted you. <laughs> so Julian's joining now. There you go. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, you so. just wrecked the surprise. There and, you, you know, and, and, and here here we got Mark saying, I don't care what those two said. Don't believe anything they said. Well, we just happened to say, oh, he's a great guy. And you know, <laughs> he just got married. Exactly. <laughs> he's such a wonderful friend. And we're, we're, we're going to renew we're going to renew his contract on three sides. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Mark said, oh, my God, that. remember that? That was funny <laughs> stuff. So. <laughs> All right, so just to let you guys know, I'm not dead. I will be here next week if we do next week, because this is next week a holiday week. Uh next week, yeah, is yeah. Labor Day week. So are you? So I got to ask this question. You don't have to share this if you don't want to, because I know that sometimes you don't like talking about it. But since you're heading to practice right after this, are you guys going to add uh, nothing but a good time and fallen angels? Oh, you fucking asshole! Cherry pie, man! <laughs> Cherry pie. <laughs> I can't even name a, I can't even name a, a pretty boy Floyd song or I would have. Oh no, I'm starting I'm starting a, a a Kiss tribute band called Larger Than Life or an overweight tribute to Kiss. Oh. <laughs> oh. All right, that's it enough for me. This I got to get going. I just had time That's to pop good. in. Uh, again, guys, buy this book. I, I love it. Absolutely enthralled with it. Goddamn Finkelstein's goddamn enthralled. Anyone who's ever seen the movie Author Author knows that part. So you, um, fan, fantastic. Great job, guys. I got to run. Later. Later. Later, dude. Let's see if Mark knows Bad how to breath. hang up now. Oh, he, he figured it out. He knew how to hang up. <laughs> Wow. I can't I can't tell you how many times we'll do shows with Mark and he's gotta leave early and he just walks away and leaves the iPad running. Oh, I know. Okay, you can't so teach an old dog new tricks, right? You know, new tricks, you just can't teach him any tricks. New or old, he's got no tricks. So hey, three sides. We're talking about this book this week. We're talking about Mask Hysteria World Tour 1980-81 with Julian Gill, who's back in his cesspool, yes. which is us. No, no, we're the cauldron of twat waffles. You're the cauldron. I'm the cesspool. We're, we're, you're the cesspool. We're the cauldron. So when you put the cesspool and the cauldron together, the world is ours, people. We control everything in the KISS world. At that point. Exactly. Unstoppable. No other podcast can stand up against the cesspool and the cauldron together. The cesspool of twat waffles. Some, the cesspool of twat waffles. Exactly. Um, no, seriously. This week, it's this book. Last week, we we had Alan and Perron talking about their, their um, new volume of the Demons of Rock. Um Julian, mask hysteria. What what possessed you to do another book? Why? Yeah. I mean, is is haven't you written everything that could possibly be written about this band? No, that's like saying that to Alan. Aren't you done yet? No, yeah, that's... no. It it is one of those things that every time I finish something, I say I'm never doing this again. And then I start writing something or i look at something and i start thinking and that's usually a very dangerous thing when it comes to history because no matter what's been written there's more to learn 
there's more, there's more to, to learn. Into. There's more rabbit holes that we never thought existed. Exactly. And there's things to correct, things to enhance. And this thing starts with Tim and my Odyssey. You know, when we were writing that, I was doing the narrative sections. And 1981, the transition from Unmasked to The Elder, I thought was really interesting. And a whole bunch of information became available after Odyssey came out. So I wanted to rewrite it. And it just served as a really good starting point. Where do you go? Do you do a super deluxe edition um, of Odyssey? No, I wanted to go back and connect it back to Eric Carr joining the band, Peter leaving the band. And it just gave so much room to kind of expand the on-tour stuff as well. So it just naturally kind of created itself. One of the things that, that especially not not just 8081 but the three to five years around there seems to me that's always been one of the most tumultuous times in kiss's history so much change was happening in the band and around the band and with music and everything else that you know it it's one of those things where it's like you want to know more. You want to know what was going on that possessed people to make decisions and what was influencing them. And are ha, in in all of your writings, have you found eighty eighty one, the topic of this book, to be maybe that most tumultuous time in Kiss's history? Without a doubt, you know, ab- absolutely everything that happens later for me hinges on 1980 and the phonogram contract and you know the uh implosion of casablanca it, that's ground zero for the rest of history as far as i'm concerned so you know the 70s had their kind of bumps in 79 with peter um you know and the dynasty tour but 80s where it all happens everything that happens later is all tied back to the contract that they signed with phonogram it just sets up the whole decade and everything that happens. So is it tumultuous? Yeah, it, it's the tsunami, in my opinion. And again, other people are are, are going to look at the same evidence and see different things on it. That's the great thing about it is that mass hysteria is my interpretation of what happens in 1980 and you know what it leads to. You don't have and, creatures yeah. of the night. Well, and, and, and what's so interesting about this period is it it probably was their just about their lowest period or going right into their lowest period ever in the U S ever. But outside of the U S there was some pretty spectacular peaks that they were climbing, still climbing. I mean, just the contrast of dead in the U S and bigger than the Beatles in Australia. Well, not bigger than the Beatles by any stretch well, of the imagination, but it well, was, it but was I think the that, Beatles that, moment for that generation. Yeah, I was going to say, but in that little moment, there was nothing, nobody was bigger than Kiss in Australia in that moment. Now, again, digging into it, we know a lot of the backstories of, yeah, there's a lot of people that were losing money and a lot of stuff wasn't being sold, but still, it the contrast between the rest of the world and what was going on in the U.S. is pretty evident. In yeah, they basically can't that. get arrested in America, but in Australia, they're on on the balconies of the Sydney, you know, town hall and having swarmed a, a, a by the entire city. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, that's and, and be the a hysteria. Real 
Oh, yeah. And you talk to Australian fans who experienced 1980, and that is like a permanent tattoo on their whole psyche. And so so much that goes back to that one moment. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like. I mean, again, I'm a guy who became a fan in 85. So what would I know? I didn't get to experience Kiss in the 70s in America. I didn't get to experience it in 80. But just how the fans speak about that moment and how important it is to them and their lives 43 years later speaks volumes to what you were saying, Mike, about the Beatles moment. And And back then... This was all happening in Australia, and KISS fans like us here in the U.S. had no clue. Because remember, this is all pre-internet. There's no there's no 24-hour news channels. There isn't cable news channels. This is all happening in another side of the world that might, might get a mention in a little byline in a paper somewhere might and i and i'm i'm stressing might might show up as a a uh a, a photo or a video clip somewhere we really had no idea in the u.s how no. phenomenal mm. and how massive it was in australia because we only could see and experience where we were living at the time and again at that time it was you know, Mark says this all the time. Timeline means everything. Back then, it was an embarrassment to admit you were a Kiss fan if you lived in the U.S. Right. Well, flat and, out embarrassment to be a Kiss fan. But that's how much the internet and people having phones with cameras have changed the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, look at all the people that are in so many of these oppressed countries that are now figuring out how to fight back and band together and communicate. I mean, it's, it doesn't surprise me at all, but what I'd love to know, Julian, is, is that I know that your books are always extremely well-written. I haven't read all of them just because I'm horrible. At, I just, reading is not my thing. Whereas Mark will just read, 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 read. But the ones that I have read, I've really liked. What did you learn I know you probably learned a lot of things, but what's the one thing in this book that you learned that surprised you the most? It all goes back to the contract. I didn't go into this with the 1980 contract. I got that during research for it, and it just turned me on my head as to how it seemed to explain so much of what happens later. It's like the first domino to fall. It just, for me, it just like everything fell sequentially from there. You know, Casablanca. Um, and Neil Bogart's demise um, to signing with Phonogram and the requirements that were they were contractually tied to for the rest, you know, pretty much the rest of the decade, because it wasn't until 88 that they uh, re-upped with uh, Polygram. So it, it re- well, that was just the, 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 the Jesus moment for me. So let's let's focus on that moment a bit. I mean, I you can reveal as much or as little as you want, because obviously we want people to buy the book, but that was uh, uh, the beginning of a major transition in that, that Neil Bogart was basically selling his label to Polygram, right? Correct. Phonogram. Yeah. I mean, he was, they, they were going to become sole owners of all of this. They were going from what was essentially a not essentially it was an Casablanca was an indie label a very massive indie label but an indie label 
very much a family. You knew everybody. You had close relationships. Kiss was the foundation of Casablanca. I mean, you know, that, that was their home. Now they're moving to an international conglomerate where they're just one of many artists. And at the end of the day, those artists are basically judged by the bottom line on a spreadsheet every quarter as accountants and vice presidents review successes and failures. doesn't matter if you're KISS, doesn't matter who you are. If that bottom line is negative, you're in trouble. So was that kind of, do you think that was kind of a shock to the guys in KISS and even their management of going from a very almost family-like label operation to this is just, you're just a cog in the wheel now. Yes and no. On on the first on the first part, with Polygram had bought in a stake in 1977 into Casablanca, but the books were so badly cooked that Bogart had to basically sell to get out of debt. That was the only reason he basically sold. Uh, sold and Kiss and Donna Summer both had keyman clauses in their contracts. Once he went and departed the business, they were free to go. So, what does a good business do? They maximize that key man clause to negotiate an absolutely insane contract that, you know, where is it? I've, I've got it right here. If you don't have any kiss book, you've got yeah, to kiss have and sell. this yeah. kiss and sell is everything that I could never do in a kiss book because CK was there. So Chris he, Lent. He it's written, Chris, written by Chris Lent, the business manager of, of kiss. He knew all of the business dealings behind the scenes and that book people is nothing but the business of kiss and it's extremely digestible just mike says business don't get scared by that it is very readable yes very understandable a great writing style uh, again that's like the third copy i've had because i've worn it out rereading sections to get you know the the, the full first-hand account from there but donna summer was suing casablanca and her management to leave so kiss basically had uh, phonogram over the barrel when it came to the negotiations for the 1980 contract. And they used that to basically get 2 million plus guaranteed per album, which, is, you know, is good business. So they were going into another, you know, situation. I don't think they knew what they were going into with the Germans. Um, they ha only knew one record label. They only knew a record label that gave them everything that they wanted yep. a record label that was run by a gambler because neil bogart was spectacular with his audacity mm. he wasn't he right. wasn't afraid to do anything whether it was going to vegas and gambling payroll you know to some of the other things that he did to keep casablanca moving throughout the 1970s i mean he was he was a bold innovator um more worthy of more accolades than he could ever be given so the suit and ties were going to be a completely different culture, but they didn't know what they had bought into at that point by taking Casablanca. And they also didn't know what they were getting with Kiss. They just knew that Kiss was the biggest unit shifter in America at that time, and they needed them. So it, it was it's a messed up relationship from the, from the get-go. Kiss does a good deal, and Phonogram needs Kiss. So 
Was this the contract that came back to haunt them, Creatures of the Night era? Meaning this was the contract that had a clause in it that required X amount of original band members to be on an album. Yes. And, and, and was it three at that point, it was requiring three original members. That would have been Gene Paul and Ace. So contractually with phonogram, they agreed that every album was going to have Gene Paul and Ace on it in order to get the $2 million advance. And when Creatures came out, as stories have gone, Ace was not in the band at that point in time. They put him on the cover because they needed the label to think Ace was still in the band and didn't work out in the end, and they had to renegotiate. Is that correct? That's that's correct, because... um... I think it's early 82. They actually sue phonogram for schlocking, um, you know, thinking that they're going to get it's again, it's in kiss and sell thinking They're going to get a ton of money. And then come the end of 1982, um, when it becomes obvious that Ace is leaving the band, then Casablanca cancels the contract. They give them 30 day notice in January, 1983. The, the contract is canceled. It is re, um, I, th- I think they took Ace out of the business side and made it only that Gene and Paul were the signatories of the contract and that the advances that they were paid were reduced. So they took their pound of flesh after the fact, uh, because again, after the elder and the damage that does, you know, unmasked was, was okay. A lot of subsidies involved in that that were defined in the contract as well. But one of the other big problems with the contract is that it defines the amount of time that's allowed in between delivery of albums. And that's what starts the cascade of problems after Unmasked. You know, December 1980, they finished touring. They've had to replace Peter during the year. And then they have the problem of becoming creative for the elder. So, uh, again, I, I talk about dominoes. It The picture isn't really clear in mass hysteria it just celebrates surviving a year of massive emotional change you know you lose peter you bring in eric and then you go on an incredible tour everything that happens afterwards though is is a result of it it's really kind of cool yeah it's it's such a fascinating period of time for for the band where especially as as somebody who was a fan through all this period, you know, you never got an inkling of any of this was going on as, as a fan. Again, you know, pre-internet, there's no transparency on anything. There's nobody, there wasn't a Julian back in 1980 who was digging into a story and researching it. We were just fans. We were just living from album to album tour to tour and were basically blind to what was really happening. Yeah. And and, and it's fascinating now to go back and learn that, to learn what was going on. You get some little blurbs in the trades, but what ki- what fourteen year old kid's going to be picking up Billboard or Variety and seeing that one line little item? Peter Chris has left Kiss, you know, months before it hits one, you know, hit Parader or Circus. Right. But but even if we saw that, to us that just meant 
Peter's leaving, but they're getting a new guy. We had no insight into what that could, would, not could, what that would really mean on the business side of things. We, you know, back then, nobody was like, oh, Kiss has got to have X amount of original members in the band to do deals. I mean, yeah, you know, that came out around the Creatures era, and then it became, it, it reared its ugly head again in the mid-2000s, you know, when when Ace was in and Peter was in and they were in and out, and then it was Eric and Tommy, and touring got to the point where it's like, you know, are they going to require X amount of original members to do a tour and call themselves KISS? As a kid, we had no idea that meant anything, that that was important at all. And well, nobody you have known that Peter Chris's solo album is defined in the KISS contract. That yeah. Peter is given a $100,000 record deal to record his solo album, and he'll be treated uh, and promoted on the same stature as other drummers, which I, I do kind of laugh about Phil Collins hadn't come along by that point with his solo career. Um, right. So so they didn't they weren't really measuring him against much in terms of competition. Yeah, and but, I mean, yeah, and and and. and, and since then we've learned stuff like yeah you know he got his deal on the same label as kiss but there was no way he was ever going to get promoted at the level of kiss because they could never risk having peter chris become bigger than kiss that was never going to happen never no matter how good that album was something was going to bury it yep. do you believe that julian well, I thought it was buried. Yeah. I think the suits did a very poor choice of singles for it. And I have never found a picture ad for Out of Control. There may be one in uh, Music Life or one of the Japanese magazines, which wouldn't surprise me. But in terms of any mainstream, I've never seen an ad for it. Um, and now people be, I've got one. Well, where were you when I was putting the book together? Um, you know, and even the coverage of his album. I mean, you can read some of the reviews of Peter's album in there. They're brutal. Oh, oh, oh they I are. Bet. Well, they and are I remember horrible. buying it, looking for a new Kiss record. Uh, unmasked, I want to say. I don't remember whatever, and and there it was. Like, yeah, there was it, no it, fanfare it was. At all. There was no fanfare at all. Again, if you were a fan back then, it's sort of just showed up fell out of the sky it showed up you were cool you thought cool peter chris album buying it because he was in kiss and you never heard anything more he didn't yeah. tour. And he, he, he did a prom he did a promotional tour because but you only know about that now because of the internet you wouldn't have known about it back then it wasn't really covered you know he went i think to 13 cities and did did press and TV. He was on CNN for what that was worth. In but he, did, he, did, he, did, he didn't do a, a tour playing the music. He didn't put a band together and go out on the road. Well, he did put a band and... together. He rehearsed. They didn't go out right. on the road. What was the first single off that record? Do you, do you... By myself. It was. Okay, that's what I thought. Really catchy one, huh? Yeah. Just what just what you want to grab people by instead of you want to run. Uh, or uh, what was it? I can't remember now. Again, that's why I write stuff down because I can't remember anything. Absolutely. But there were better choices. It's just interesting how finding this contract and looking at it in detail 
that you can now look in hindsight with 2020 to see that there are direct things in that contract that literally put them on the path that they went on. Yeah. But also just like anything, um, photographs, audio, video, all that stuff circulates in little groups. So do memos from the business office. They're all over the place. And again, going back to Odyssey, after Odyssey was done, I got some binders full of legal memos that just, they, they had so much stuff from 1980 that again, I wanted to tie them all back to, and a lot of them are in the book so that people can read parts of these memos to see how the band and the business thinking behind tied in and related to what's in the contract and what fans are experiencing where they're experiencing. Because again, it, it tells part of the story. Yeah. It comes from one perspective and you got to remember that that truth is a whole bunch of different perspectives and I'm not a direct participant. And if you ask any of the band members as well, you'll get five different stories. So that's just kind of where where a, a lot of that essence comes from that evidence. Well, I, didn't I, Peter I, maintain for the longest time that, that that his solo album was bad because Kiss blocked it or suppressed it? It's it looks like it did a pretty good job of on its own tanking just from the reviews and and picking the wrong single to your point and all the other stuff that goes along with it. You can't I have just, no I I have no memo. From a coin management saying tank Peter's album. Right. Um, I think Kiss was Mike said it earlier. Kiss couldn't get, you know, couldn't get arrested in New York City in 1980. Right. Look at the Palladium show that they did with Eric Cars. Yeah, that was part of rehearsals for the tour. They were rehearsing there and they put one date on sale. They couldn't put a second date. That tells you an awful lot that a year before they're playing Madison Square Garden and in 1980, they They've fallen behind the times and look at their first single from Unmasked, Shandy. Shandy competing with By Myself, you know, against British Steel, the Scorpions, and all the music that's emerging and taking people's interest uh, back in black by that point, Def Leppard. I mean, Kiss had lost the plot. Peter Chris was doing his own thing, but his album, you know, You Better Run is the song that I'm thinking of. Pat Benatar had a minor hit with it. Yes. Peter had it at the same time. If he'd got his single out before, would it have been the same? Who knows? That's a what if. I, I don't but the, deal but, with but that. But I, I do believe that Pat Benatar did so well because it was one of the heavily played videos early on in MTV, and that yeah. helped. I mean, that they were saying that 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 channel made a break would make or break an artist. Yeah, but you know, I mean. To Julian's point, you're you're never going to find a memo that that documents Barry Peters' album, but I think it's pretty well understood from Casablanca's side of things and Kiss's side of things. You can't have your ex drummer come out, leave the band, and become more successful than the band. You can. Because in KISS, remember, Peter remained a member of the partnership. Yep. So they would share in Peter's success equally. Now, no, it would still detract financially, from KISS. Yes, financially they would share in it. But I'm, I'm talking simple public perception and egos. Imagine if 
Peter came out and sold out two shows at the Palladium when Kiss could only do one. How would that now? Yeah, okay. Kiss would have shared in some of the proceeds, but publicly, Wait, that happened. doesn't look good. That ain't going to happen. That's not going to be allowed to happen. That will not look good at all. That the drummer who left the band is now within a year more successful than the band. And a band like Kiss, which, as we know, looking back historically, has always been about bragging beyond reality, creating the perception they are incredibly massive, even when they aren't. So that was never, I, I firmly believe that was quietly mumbled behind the scenes that will not be allowed to happen you can you you know contractually peter's album has to have a single it has to have this and you have to do a promo tour sure you do what you're required to do but you don't push and go beyond that that's it i mean i i think i think that was what happened in that scenario of kiss and peter chris at that point in time no facts to your point julian we'll never yeah. have evidence unless at some point in time in the future gene or paul comes out and writes another book or does an interview and says yeah that's what we did i don't think that's ever going to be documented factually but i don't think it's beyond anybody's expectations that something like that happened well, and it no, could and even be something internally too with the record label themselves. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they wanted to use Peter's uh, record as a, a loss leader. I mean, because within two years, let's face it, regardless of whatever Kiss problems were, you know, Peter's next solo album was what European release originally. Because I found it at Down in the Valley. It just showed up one day, again, dropped from the sky. Yeah, had no idea. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things you'd mentioned uh, a little bit ago was, you know, how how Kiss was quick getting from an album back on the tour and another album and that they were contractually obligated for that period of time between releases. And as fans, we we look back with astonishment in their early part of their career first five six years and how many albums were released you know they were doing two albums a year they were touring and album and tour and album and tour and album and we would look at it and go these guys were great you know they were a machine but what we didn't realize back then was that was even casablanca putting that requirement on kiss back then your 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 album didn't sell we need you back in the studio right away recording a new album so we can try it again there's no break business-wise they had to keep recording because that's what casablanca needed to do to try and ultimately recoup all the money they've been spending on kiss so as fans we were just like loving it we were getting two albums a year and we were getting constant tours we didn't understand why that was happening yeah, and the original the original seventy three contract only called for one album per year, so it literally was Neil saying, "I need more product." 
get in the studio now. Um, you need the money. Uh, Bill, <laughs> pay off your credit yeah. card. We'll, uh, you know, get we'll ready. Give for you the next another, we'll give you another advance for this next album, but you got to yeah. get in and record right now because sales of Dress to Kill have bottomed out and they're never going to get any better. So let's get you back in. Yep. So again, it, it's that time in between albums. You know, we used to think it was really cool. Every September in the eighties, you could basically uh, guaranteed to get a Kiss album. I mean, it, it was album fantastic. tour, album tour. You counted on it every single year during the. And 80s. that's why it was what it was because that is how it was defined between eight and ten months from the delivery date of your album. So May. 1980 starts the clock ticking you've got until june 1981 to hand in your next album now you're on tour until december that already puts you under a time crunch when you're emotionally exhausted from a tour and you have to go in and immediately start writing i mean people can't just write you know you, yeah. you've been on the road so then you release the elder in november 1981 it would have been handed in in october that starts the clock ticking again so you've got until september 82 to put out an album hand it in yep deliver it you know and then and again also in the contact the contract for 1980 is that they had to tour europe every two years so why do you think they start the lick it up tour in europe and then they start the animalized tour and then they're back at 88 because it's all in the contract. It's in the contract with the label. And so kiss and not just kiss, but this applies to all bands. They would get their advance from their record label to record a new album. But when they're ready to tour again, if you're a big enough band, you get an advance from your merchandising company for tour merchandise. And this is money that KISS was literally needing. That kept them surviving from tour to tour, year to year, was advance, 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 advance. Without those advances, it's very difficult for not just KISS, but any band, especially back then, to do anything because it was just cost prohibitive. You take that advance and you know you might put that money into your stage production. That's how you were able to build a stage is because you took money from your merchandising advance. That money get recouped from sales of T-shirts. But guess what? At the end of the tour, you didn't make any money. You just broke even again. So you got to do it all over again. It's just rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. Yeah, and what people don't realize is that even a band of Kiss's stature who were at one point selling a lot of records, those advances take a lot of recouping. When And in the 80 contract, they're getting 250 grand from Polygram US for Canada and the United States. And then they're getting another 250 grand from rest of the world, Phonogram. Where's that money going? KISS is a business. KISS has people's salaries to pay. KISS has to pay for recording of an album, you know, and all these other costs. Oh, and... Who's taking money off the top? Bill O'Coin, 18.5%, even though that's renegotiated at the beginning yep. of 1980. Lawyers take money off the top. Yep. Managers Glickman take Marks, that. business yep. managers take they a percentage. They all take it off the top. And then booking. Who gets paid last? Gene and Paul. The band. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, there that that's one of the things I think a lot of fans don't really understand about pre-internet music business. You know, it was... 
These advances sound great. Oh my God, Poison got a $2 million advance to do their next album in the 80s. That's because um, the rumor was that Mark was going to join as a drummer. Exactly. Um, But then, again, after you've taken all the money off the top for the people in your business, then you have to use that money to pay for your recording. That goes into paying for studio and paying for whatever the multitude of expenses can be. And that $2 million advance is an advance that has to be paid back. It is essentially nothing more than a bank loan. And when that album comes out, all the profits coming off the top go to pay off that advance. And you don't make money until an advance is recouped. So again, I I remember Brett Michaels saying once they had to sell like 2 million albums just to recoup the advance they got to record that album. Yeah. And there's still no money in their pockets. They're still living in an apartment, but they got $2 million. They just toured the world. All of that, and and again, let's let's also keep in mind back in the '80s, record labels were giving tour support to bands, mm-hmm. which is basically an advance to help you stay out on the road, on the understanding that if you're on the road touring, you're going to sell albums for us, which will pay us back for what we're which giving will pay you us back left over. You get that's why and, it's almost. It's almost a miracle how anybody ever ended up making money. Well, you only did if you became, if you sold 10 million, you had to become so fucking huge. That's why this. Yeah, that, that, that your recoupments were paid back. You had money in your own pocket. And then if you got to that situation, you might not need to take the advance the next time because you can use your own money. Right. Yeah, so it's just, it's this, crazy. this 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 whole all of this that we're talking about is completely unknown to us as fans during the 70s and 80s. We have no freaking idea about all this. Julian, as you said, we just knew every freaking September there was going to be a new album and a new tour. I didn't have to read about it in circus. You just knew. You could count on it. You just look at your watch and go, there'll be there's going to be something coming up in the next 2 to 3 months. And it did. And it was exciting to be a fan during all of that because you just knew it was going to happen. You could count on it. Like the sun rising and the sun setting, you could count on another tour and another album. We didn't understand why it was happening like that. No, and that's the interesting thing that I enjoy now is that I can look back and hopefully explain to people in an entertaining manner a lot of the whys. And I don't get that. I don't go into that sort of detail with the contract. I think I only have like five or four pictures from it. I left out some of the interesting parts as well. I forgot to put in the image with uh phonogram subsidizing the European tour to the tune of four hundred and thirty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty. I wonder why they went to Europe. Well, phonograms offering you four hundred and thirty thousand to offset your um your touring costs and you're also your tour get, costs. Get, 
you're also going to clear out a lot of Bellafon product and because of the consolidation of the catalog just being distributed by phonogram rather than the phonograms, the duriums, all the other, actually durium is not a good example, but um, you know, a lot of the, the national uh, distributors were being brought in house by phonogram as well. So they were, they were clearing out a ton of product. They sold a lot of records. Without a doubt, Phonogram would have been mostly happy with the amount of sales that they generated in Europe and Australia in 1980 of catalog. Unmasked, well, it did very well in several markets, except for the one that was a bit of a red flag, America. Yeah. Yeah. Scrapes I, 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 I remember as a kid having no idea Unmasked was being released. And I was walking downtown St. Paul and I walked by a music land and there's a big display in the front window of music land of this new kiss album Unmasked. I'm like, fuck is this? I mean, it, it came out, the label did what they contractually had to do. And that was the, that was the end of it. I mean, you you never really heard much more. You never saw much more, you know, unmasked that 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 era unmasked elder was just it was silence. It was silence for Kiss fans. You had little idea what was really going on when it was happening. Because at that point in time, the labels, the, the label didn't have a lot of faith in kiss anymore. Well, they and, were not and, performing in the number one market of the world. Well, and, and like what Elaine and pear said the other day about, they are putting out that book with all of the magazine covers of kiss. They said, you could really tell when the heyday was and when things died down. So to your point, Michael, during that period of time, there wasn't a lot of covers on them here in the u.s so where was the information coming from if you were lucky it was a blurb out of kerrang you know because i don't remember at that age thinking about buying billboard or cash box those didn't make any sense to me i didn't even i don't right. even know if i knew they existed yeah they weren't getting mentions in there either i mean go go back to unmasked i mean how many people saw the shandy video at the time or heard right. Shandy on the radio, or Tomorrow in the United States, for that matter. I mean, they, those singles got more airplay outside of Europe because the band were touring. So they had right. the benefit of that promotion happening outside of the country. In 1981, A World Without Heroes, they, they wouldn't play it on MTV because Phonogram blockaded giving videos to MTV because they wanted to get paid for them. They didn't realize the commercial benefit of using music videos as a promotional tool. It was all new. It was a new form of art that was just emerging. The record labels that did get on the bandwagon early got the benefits early. Phonogram was behind. And then yep. by that time, you know, you have the elder selling less than unmasked, but not a ton less. It's it's not the complete fall off because people didn't know what was on that brown monstrosity when they bought it at the store. But Creases of the Night sold half as much as The Elder because people were pissed off at Kiss by that point. And yeah. So why would MTV show the I Love It Loud video? You know, it was shown, but not a tremendous amount. I mean, it, it's, it's almost like the sales of Unmasked and The Elder in the U.S. 
illustrated just how many diehard devoted Kiss fans there were at that time. That was the that was the size of their fan base. Not even a half a million fans. And and like you said, Julian, when Creatures came out, that those sales even dropped because by that time diehards were had thrown the towel in. Af, after the elder, a lot of fans just threw the towel in. These guys lost it. Okay. Dynasty was a little bit of a curve, but I could live with it. Unmasked. Wow, that was a sharp turn. The elder was like, what the fuck? We're stuck in the we're stuck in a ditch now. You got, you know, you've had three albums in a row where you kept losing it, losing it, and now you've just lost it. And at the time that's happening, the new wave of British heavy metal is exploding. And you're like, oh, okay, here's something I I have liked early Kiss sound. Now it's coming out of Britain. This is refreshing. This is new. I'm going over there. Creatures comes out, and those diehard fans that have left never even listened to it. Never, never gave it a shot because they were like, "Fuck Kiss," you know. I'm done with them. They blew it. Mm-hmm. I have a hypothetical question for both of you, though, because there's no way to answer this. But I want your gut feeling. Do you think that okay? So for every hundred Kiss fans in 1979-1980 of under every hundred KISS fans, how many of those KISS fans do you think were more inclined to metal versus just inclined to all types of music or following what they were doing? Because like to Ju- the reason I'm asking the question, like for me personally, to Julian's point about the British heavy metal, I know that was a huge deal. I had friends who were still to this day love Iron Maiden and Saxon and Judas Priest and name all the great bands that have come during that thing. But it didn't affect me personally as a Kiss fan at all. I mean, I kept following them. I found other stuff I liked, but it wasn't in the, the British metal piece. So how much do you think that really affected the turn? Because the bulk of KISS fans already were more metal people? Yeah. Look at Ted Nugent. I mean, Mark's not here. Um, Thank God. Ted Ted Nugent continued along the lines of what Ted Nugent was doing. He didn't do a ballet album. Um, Cheap Trick continued doing what Cheap Trick did. You know, with a a slight deviation in the early 1980s. Um, Aerosmith. Another great example who lost original members continue making the music that Aerosmith fans expected them to, and they didn't suffer the same sort of drop off as Kiss did. Kiss did a left turn, a right turn, and then switched the map completely. Um, so I so think a lot of them were metal fans because look at Lick It Up, because yeah. after taking Motley Crue out on the road in '82, Kiss decides to be Motley Crue in 1983 and take off the makeup and just join the pack and they come back it wasn't just the lack of makeup that brought people back it was that kiss was seen to come back and become one like everyone else do you do you think that their demise of popularity in the united states in that time frame had more to do with the music they were producing and less to do with them being overexposed. I think it all comes into play. I think think you have people growing up. 
they are overexposed, but also people are growing up and who does want to be at a concert when you're 15 and there are seven-year-olds? You know, it's different now because we've got seven-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 70-year-olds at the yeah. shows. And, and that's a fair point. I guess I just have never contemplated it or I didn't contemplate it at the time. I was just like- Why would we? we? We were living at the time uh, yeah, when musical I, shifts occurred. We were part of the shift, right. you know, whether it was going from rock into grunge uh, in the early late 80s, early 90s, or from glam into thrash. You know, it was all natural evolution then. So it's easy to look back in retrospect and say, I think this. Right. Well, you know, I, 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 yeah. I was going to say, I think the I think the the of that what you mentioned, Tommy, I think the the change in the music was the biggest part of that. Because, you know, as as we know, all Kiss fans know all through the 70s, Kiss was just getting they were always the butt of jokes. They were always getting the lack of respect. That's a makeup band. It's a band that's pyro, but you know what? They still had, you know, rock and roll over and destroyer and love gun and alive and alive too. They had the albums to back up what they were doing. So yeah, you know, your buddy or not even your buddy, but just the random kid in high school might give you a hard time for liking kiss but it didn't mean that much because guess what? Rock and roll over was a fucking amazing rock album. Right. Even if it is makeup, you can hold it against anything at that time. By the time 79, 80, 81 rolls around, you're still dealing with the, uh, yeah, it's, it's makeup. They're not a real band, but now even you as a fan are like, you know, I, somewhat right this album is not exactly uh great you know unmasked okay you know it's kiss i i you know for me and i've said this before i was just ingrained in kiss at that point in time and i didn't give a shit what they released i was there i was in there i was in their corner all the time that was a minority of the kiss fans by by the 8081 era that could stick it out. But even I was like, oh, these are, this is Kiss. I love them. I'm always going to be there for them. If they come around, I'll go see them in concert. But yeah, you know, you know this Unmasked album kind of sucks. But you're also just, get, getting the same thing year in and year out. Spitting blood. Oh, he's spitting blood again. You know, yeah, shooting rockets. The shtick gets old when someone's riding a Harley on stage or throwing meat at the audience or, you know, new gimmicks come along that yeah. seem much more dangerous because familiarity breeds contempt. Kiss was doing the same thing and it had gone Disney. It was, well... You take anything and make it safe. You know, you, you take something. They start off in leather. They were yeah. dangerous in 74. They they were against the state. They they were criminals in essence. But you get a coin who takes them and makes them commercial. And that is the road to perdition is making something mass market acceptable because you have to play it safe or. Yeah, I, I I know it's just like that's why I ask these questions because I my my 
viewpoint on a lot of this was so skewed by my age and being so immersed in it that it's hard to step back and look at it from a logical standpoint. But there are things that really interest me about the way people look at stuff like, you know, Michael has told this story many times before about how he called to ask KQ um, to play Lick It Up. And they're like, oh, aren't they great now? They took their makeup off or whatever. I don't remember exactly how you said it, Michael. And it's like that was one person's perspective. Uh, Another guy that I knew that worked in the Knollwood Mall at the record store there hated Kiss. But whenever I came in there in the 80s and he knew because he knew I was a fan, he wanted to talk about The Elder because he thinks it was revolutionary and one of the greatest rock records ever made. Yet so many of the Kiss fans are like, this is awful. So it's really interesting now to look back and see how different people perceived what they were seeing and how it was so different in some cases than how I viewed things. Not right or wrong, just different and so I, I look at back at this and I read books like this that you have taken the time so kindly to write. And it's fascinating to me. And this is why here we sit 10 years in and we're still talking about it. Yeah. And, and it will never get old because look at Elvis. Was he dangerous when he started out? Yeah. Just like, yeah. Swivel those hips, baby. And you're on the front page for corrupting the morals of the youth. But what does the colonel do with him? He packages him up. Makes them, I've just been watching the uh, the anniversary sixty eight comeback special behind oh, the documentary on that fantastic yeah. stuff. Uh, Kiss fans, check it out because if you don't see parallels between that story and Kiss and the Colonel and Billa Coin and what they did, and probably what Epstein would have done with the Beatles had he not died, I mean, it, it, impossible to know because left to their own devices, you see where they go. Left right. to a business person's acumen and wanting to maximize money, then you're selling yourself repeatedly. And I I just love everything about music. It's just so freaking awesome. This is why I love to learn about the business behind music. I love music itself. I love the music because the music to me is the number one trigger that will take me back to a place and trigger memories and emotions. But to learn what was going on when it was created, after it was created, before it was created, what led to decisions is fascinating to, to really get into the minds of the artists who, you know, for decades, you just, you just heard the music. Now you've got, you can read a book and you can get into the minds and go, I'm going to listen to the music but now I've got a whole different picture because something else has been built up around this. And I, to me, again, going back to the Kiss and Sell book, it's just fascinating to read Chris Lent's take on the, the business dealings behind Kiss in a time when I just thought it was just magical. And you, you know, it's sort of like, pulling the curtain back and realizing, you know, the wizard of Oz is not really that spectacular, but that was great in my mind to get that reveal, to learn this sort of stuff. 
and that's yeah, smoke history. and mirrors and, and going behind that sorry tommy um no, going, going behind that curtain is really fascinating that we are able to do that nowadays but again it comes back to the internet how do you meet someone who's got a stack full of memos who will you know share them with you to provide that insight that you need to correlate with a contract anyone can well I don't know if I've got them up on the site, but the, you know, the 73 contract, 75, 77, 80, um, you know, all these other legal documents that tie into it. Once you start reading all the memos that go along with them, if you, I, I guess I want to be a storyteller and I want to weave something in. And that's what I've tried to do at mask hysteria in color um, is to paint that picture and maybe bring some of those threads together. Like uh, Elaine and Per are going to do with the demons of rock. They're going to tell a story using the covers I mean, how cool is it to be a KISS fan nowadays and see stuff like that? I mean, you know, the KISS Army Spain, their Madison Square um, Garden book about KISS. Every tour that went to the Madison Square Garden, they put a book together about. I mean, that is so cool. Paul Stanley solo tour. It's just endless. I get so excited about it. It it, it keeps me excited, which is really mm-hmm. weird all these decades on, you know, and as we're so close to the end of the road to still be this invested in discovering and learning more. But really, well, I, 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 mentioned, I mentioned it a, a couple months ago about one of the cool things about KISS right now, even though we're 50 years into it, and we would think we have seen and learned everything we can. Somebody like you, Julian, or anybody else who's got a book comes up and we're just like, almost anybody, almost anybody can write a book, (laughs) Um, but we'll open it up and go, the fuck? I never knew this. I never saw that picture. I never knew that event occurred. I never, I never knew something. And, you know, it is because of the internet. It's because this band has been around so long has so much history, has so many people that may not even be KISS fans, but worked around KISS that, you know, 40 years later, they're they're moving and they open up a box that's been in their attic for 35 years and they go, these are all my memos when I worked with a coin management. I wonder if there's somebody out there that might find value in this. Well, and really and what, a whole new world is revealed. Right. Well, and, and really what we're interested in or what we're talking about right here, how is it literally any different than knowing every single player on the 67 Yankees, you know, and or finding out more things about the game or how this one particular coach has been able to get all the way uh, to the world series and win, or it's the same kind of thing. It's just, it's funny how sometimes you feel like people look at you like, really? Like that's almost more acceptable because it's a sport thing than a music thing, you know? And I, I, like I said, I love when Julian does these books. I love learning new things. It's just fun. You know, it's not the same for every band. Working yeah, obviously I've done books on Aerosmith and Def Leppard, and you don't have that body of memos available in those communities, or at least I've I've not penetrated those circles. I, I mean that could also be the case, you know, and that was what made those projects fun is that I had to use some of the, the research resources that I discovered, you know, along the road of all the kiss stuff I've done to to reverse engineer. Uh, similar itineraries i mean you can get an itinerary from 74 from 1980 you can get tons of memos and all that information but we are actually 
very fortunate as fans of this band and obviously as guys who do podcasts and, and sit around talking about them every week or every opportunity we get with fellow fans that we have a lot of this evidence available to us. I mean, it really, you know, we've got the Zabruda film for Kiss out there and we get to see some of this stuff occasionally. We get to hear some of this stuff occasionally. We get to read about it. And then some bonehead decides, oh, I could do a book about that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, boneheads arise, more books, you know, someone else. Well, take a a turn. And I consider myself lucky that I actually like a band that has this much history that we can talk about and still actually have importance in my life after all of these years. It's a special thing. It's like being, you know, it's like being a fan of anything like with the Vikings, you know, I'm always going to be a Vikings fan, good or bad. And even when the players change and someone new now is our defensive end or we have a new quarterback whatever it is i'm still going to support the team and that's kind of how i felt about kiss it's still kiss the music is still there i still love the whole idea of it why not embrace it and this i think adds to the fandom of doing it is when you make these incredible books available to people like myself who will never do the research um it's just a treat and i'm so appreciative that you do this i'm really appreciative of the people who contribute because without them i I put the call out for i needed help for this one i mean i i had a lot of stuff but it's only after i organize that stuff i realize how much i don't have and where there are gaps and there are a whole bunch of fans in australia in europe and in the states who came through in spades for me with with nothing asked they were willing to freely share their information. That is what an awesome community we are a part of. Um, yeah. You know, but I love your sports analogy because when I think of Aerosmith, I think of Jimmy Crespo, Rick DeFay, Ray Tabano. Yeah. When I think yeah. of Def Leppard, I think about Pete. Well, I only think about Pete Willis because no one Pete does. Willis. <laughs> you know, that to himself. <laughs> you know, yeah, but yeah it, absolutely. Um, so I've never written a book, don't know the first thing about it. When you are, when you've made the decision that this is what your focus is going to be, share with people how you write your um, outline or how, how do you, like to your point where you just said that you're miss, you were missing things and you needed help. How did you figure out you had holes and how do you go about sorting through that? A spreadsheet. Spreadsheet is your key to everything in life, whether it's budgets, finances, or planning a book. Now, I start with a rough calendar, and it's what are the core dates in that year or whatever I'm working on? How Mm. do I timeline it? And then I add a column. What do I have for each one of those? And it just sprawls out into a tree. Then I write some stuff, and I see if it feels good. Yeah, am I interested in this? Because I know I got to get the shovel out. So I got to decide how far down I want to dig. So it's it's a very kind of organic process. And it's like, am I enjoying this? Am I learning? Am I invested in it? it it's like, I've I've started projects and I've thrown them in the bin. Yeah. That's just part and parcel of it. A lot of things don't reach the point where they ever go on sale. And I didn't know that this was going to go on sale even after I commissioned the artwork for it, you know, and right. paid for it. So it could still be a loss. Um, 
so I just see what I have and I see if I've got stories to tell and if I've got a, a vision for how to tell a story and what that story, what form is going to take. This one happened to end up in color because that is what it needed to tell the story. I decided right. that I wanted to show a lot of the evidence rather than transcribe word for word or quote um, throughout. So I also wanted to stay away from photos for obvious reasons. Well, um, I was, yeah. was going to say one of the cool things, you know, especially looking at past books you've done, they're filled with so much information. And, and in many cases, just nearly 100% textual information. I mean, you read, you read, you learn. But this one, you know, I mean, it's just, it's got text, but it's filled, as you said, color, images. It, you, let, you let the visuals tell the story. And, you know, I, I, I just, I love the look of this, the feel of this. It's a very, very much like a scrapbook. That's it's a scrapbook of a couple years in a Kiss fan's history of, of loving this band. Here's the scrapbook I put together. Of course, you built this scrapbook with the help of the entire Kiss army, but it's a scrapbook. And and that was the only way. The Odyssey is what I think four hundred thousand words. <laughs> That's a lot of words. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and one of the the criticisms of things that I've done previously is repetition. It was so relieving that I could go through this uh, with my copy editor. He said, "You've already said this. Chop it. You know, you don't need that. Chop it." And I was like, "Okay, we got pictures. Chop away." You know. Let, you know. I, there there's there's a saying. You know, pictures worth a thousand words. It is. Yeah. And 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 it's true, especially if you make sure you get the right pictures and put it in the right context, that will say more than you could ever do describing that picture in words. Yeah, now, now this didn't quite turn out how originally envisaged. I originally thought I would do a demo, which is what you have in your hands, which is that is all created in Word because I can't learn InDesign to save my life. Anyone who thinks that you could be 40-something years old, 50 now, and learn InDesign, I can't do it. So you're better if you did this in, If you did this in Word, you did a fascinating, incredible job looking at yeah. the layout. You, you, I, would, I wouldn't know you just laid this out in Word. I would have thought you used some desktop publishing. That is 100% Word. Other than the front cover, which was you know created by Claudio Bergman, um, yeah. and the the rest of the design of the cover is me. But that is one hundred percent word. That was going to be my guide to hire someone who could actually operate in design to lay out. But I couldn't afford someone to do that amount of work. Um, right. Just again, spreadsheets. Uh, the economics didn't work out. So when I sent out some copies of that early on, Mark got a very early uh, taste of it because I valued his opinion. Um, and some others, they're like, wow, this looks great. I love the feel of it. And Mike, they said the same word, scrapbook. It's got a good feel to it. Um, did, you, did you put a crease in the cover of his? No, the, the postman did that for me. <laughs> I did not put the do not bend on the box. I said, please shove this into a mailbox as please hard bend. as you can. Fold, this is foldable if you need to. Yeah, because yep. we know it makes them crazy. Well, so, okay, so before we, we finish then, Julian, please do your Gene Simmons. Where can people find the book? How do they order it? 
give us all the dirt. All right. Maskhysteria.com will take you to your Amazon affiliates in your region where you can order it so that if you received a ding copy that your llama or postman has abused during the delivery, you can return it to Amazon and get one until you get one that you are happy with because print errors do happen. That's why I use Amazon. So maskhysteria.com is the only place. And when I have some hard covers, they'll be up on there. Just sold out of a batch. I, I may do another. We'll see if, if there's enough interest. There's an email contact. If you say, I want a hard cover and I will only accept a hard cover, then use the email. It's really, really easy. Technology is wonderful. Perfect. I only want oh. an ebook format, Julian. No. Or a PDF. Or a PDF. No, no, no. No ebooks. Um, I'm actually moving away from ebooks. Several of my books got pirated. Um, oh, I know really? that 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 that's the downside so, of it. But oh, I'm sorry you know, to hear I, that. as as somebody, no, they got pirated. They got pirated out of the same people who are printing the my copies, and it's like their technology wasn't good enough to notice that these are identical with a different author name. Um, the ones Gosh. that were pirated in the the sharing groups. I mean, that's just part and parcel. At least my books, and Tim Tim and my Odyssey, the Gap book, which is Tim as well, uh, were packaged up with nothing to lose and kiss and makeup. So I'm like, you know what? We're in good company there. If Gene's getting ripped off, it'll hurt him more than it does us. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I just I I I, I like PDFs and eBooks just because I'm I'm in that minimalizing my life phase of like I don't need hard copies of everything. If I can get it on digital, yeah. I will pay the exact same amount to support the creator, but it saves me space. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just my little thing. I mean, it, do, it doesn't the, work on enough formats because again, that layout does not really work. I, I do have a, a digital on my iPad because I'm special, um, but it does not have the same, you know, the turn the page. I buy all my music digital now. I don't even yeah. bother with LP. I don't collect much of that anymore. So I'm I'm with you on one hand. I've got a lot of books on my Kindle. I, I I'm almost like you know I like for stuff I love. I'll get the physical so I can own it. But then I won't actually read the book. I'll read it on my ebook. <laughs> I'll read it there. But I bought the physical so I can have the physical. You know. I'll buy the vinyl album because I love the artist, but I'm going to listen to it on Spotify. So I'm not buying it in the format because that's how I want to consume it. Because frankly, uh, you know, and you, you could probably attest to this too, Julian, there's nothing more convenient in my mind than reading a book on an iPad. It's just oh, no, it's fucking, awesome. It's the most convenient thing in the world. And it's my entire book library is always there. So whatever I get the urge to continue reading, it's there. I don't have to go find it and figure out where the book was. You know, it's just it's just easier, but you know, I what I what I would love to pick your brain right now before we wrap Julian is what have you got your mind set on for your next project? What rabbit hole in the kiss in history has you the hair on the back of your neck standing up going, I think this could be interesting. Since wrapping up this one, I said I was never doing this again. And then I started writing. Um, and it's going to start <laughs> off as an article. So I have something. I'm not going to say what, because okay. it starts again with a contract. Actually, a pair oh, of We contracts. were talking here. I just ordered one. Well, thank you. I so appreciate that's how that. easy it is to do. 
Well, hopefully they uh, don't fold yours in half and they oh, recognize that it's not to mark. Yeah, I don't care if it's folded in half. That doesn't bother me. I'm not triggered like Marcus. So I don't know where this new idea goes. I don't know if it becomes a book. I don't know if it becomes an article. I don't know if it's something I just post up online. I try and keep all this stuff um, you know, freely available online anyway, so that it's just people can go over to you know the Tor website and read all the information. I all the Odyssey stuff is online, you know, on, on my website. All the all the solo albums books. It's important because not everyone can afford or wants to have a book. And you know, I don't know if Kindle still. They used to do something on Amazon that if someone had buy, bought the physical copy, you could offer them a discounted copy of the. Uh, yeah, I don't think the, they do that anymore. It was great because I just I I, I priced the Kindle down at like one ninety nine, which was the minimum, and you bought my book at once. Here's you know, go for it. I right. like that. It was it, a good feature. Yeah, yeah. Or there they they didn't they used to have a feature if you bought the physical they they you you could get the Kindle version for free with it. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's like uh, the auto rip for the CD per some CD yeah, purchases he, was fantastic. Just a yeah, nice I, oh, I love that. You know, I I'd buy the vinyl album as a collectible from Amazon, and you know, an hour later, here's the rip of the audio files for your vinyl if you want yeah. the MP3s. It's like, oh, thank you. That's actually kind of nice. It's nice customer service, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, I'll I'll, I'll do that all the time because, like I said, I'll buy the physical product if I really love it. But I'm not consuming the physical product. I'm collecting the physical product. I consume in a digital format because it's fast, it's easy, and it's pain-free, in my opinion. Yep. Well, so, I, okay, so you're not going to reveal what your next topic is. But can you allude to, is it, are, are the topics in your mind becoming more niche topics? I mean... In a, in a broad sense, have you covered everything you can broadly cover in the world of KISS? And now you need to start focusing on more niche-specific focus topics? No, I think I want to uh, focus more on niche topics because broad is fine. Broad has a place. Um you know, I could do an, an on-tour color scrapbook for Dynasty tomorrow if I wanted, or for Creatures if I wanted to, or Destroyer, and I, and the first tour. Those would be easy. I don't know how interested I am in easy and just throwing what feels like throwing together right. all of them. You know, I've got tons of 73 and 74 memos and receipts. I've got all, all the stage receipts from december 1973 that i haven't put out there so i could easily do that but something's got me on the hook and so so the kiss geek in me and this is the minutia kiss nerd geek in me noticed you started the conversation with a heavy emphasis on i are you going to write about some memos related to I? I will tell, I guess. <laughs> so was digging. Always digging. Always looking for always. that little nuance that's the little clue. Oh, I, I mean, I could say yes, and then tomorrow I'd read something from Dynasty or, you know, or something or Hot in the Shade. And suddenly decide, oh, I want to do a hot in the shade book. You know, why don't you write a book 
on how to write a book. Because I have so many damn typos in mind, I wouldn't be a very good writer about how I could write one about how not to write a book. Well, that could work just as well. Yeah. Well, I, I hate to say this, but there's someone who's already teaching a class in that right now. Well, yeah, sadly. How not to write a book. How not to go about it. And again, we all have to learn from other people's mistakes and our own mistakes. Because again, Mm -hmm. you know, when when it goes back to that, what I want to see other fans do is be inspired. I want them to either hate something or love it. That they want to do something like it or they want to do better than it. Because I'm just a schmuck. I'm, I'm anyone could do it i want to see more people want to do it but also i have never turned someone away who's come to me and say hey can we have a can we do a webex about how you've done your books yeah i will always give that information away for free i'll hop on a a zoom with anyone who wants to know how i've done what i've done um and some of the things i've learned along the way because that's important to mentor people um and at least of advise them of some of the pitfalls we've seen some of the pitfalls we see it daily the pitfalls of trying to do some of these things and you know alan and Per probably have a ton of their own lessons learned from their projects yeah so yeah you have to be willing to share that because then i get to sit back and read something that someone else has constructed and that means i i get to enjoy it and i don't enjoy these in the same way as someone who's purchased it Fair enough. Yeah. There you go. That's a perfect place, I think, to end it, isn't it? Ju- yeah, Julian, this it's always we love having you it's on. It's all it's always fascinating, great having you on. You know, your 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 insight and devotion to the KISS world is I mean, I will, before we hit the record button, you're celebrating 20 years of KISS FAQ. Yeah. 20 yeah. years of that. I mean, that's that's not just somebody who's got nothing to do a couple nights a week. That's fucking devotion. Right. That's insanity. Commitment. I'm have to call my therapist. Well, that's insanity too. But that's that's commitment. That's devotion. That's you know, you can tell you It's a healthy thing though. Yeah, I mean I I, I remember yeah. when you took took over Kiss FAQ from Alex. Kiss FAQ's been around before Julian was kissing long FAQ. Alex Carranza yeah at it yeah and it was mailing list before that so yeah I have I have never not mentioned his name because when he retired on the day that Bruce and Eric resigned I kind of said fine I I, I have things I want to add to this I was sending him stuff anyway before that so you know the, the kiss FAQ 20 years of the message board the message board is the cross I have to bear because it's got a lot of positives, but it certainly mm-hmm. does have a lot of negatives that are mirrored throughout the world. And you see it on Facebooks. Uh, you, it, you cannot go anywhere. And one thing I do agree with Mike that he's always disliked about the FAQ is the anonymous nature of some of the lunatics mm-hmm. that anyone can create an account. I can ban them, but they can keep coming back, coming back, coming back. And there is just no way to make them uh stay gone i you know some of them i wish would just move on because they're not yeah, happy get a, i mean truly get a life mm-hmm. but there's a lot of great people who have a lot of, of great stories as fans 
I'm no different. Can, we're no different yeah. than anyone. We're fans. Why do and we? That's do what any it should be about is all those fantastic stories. That's the point of all of yep. this. You are doing the same thing that we're doing by well, even more so than us because of all of your your um, books that you write. Is you are essentially it's no different. It's the, sa- it's the same damn passion, Tommy. Don't put anyone on a different level. We are fans. There, yeah. We're not the. I say I joke about it. We're not the Masons. We are. Yep. All of us are fans, whether we write books or read them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we've said that from day one. We're three, the three, four of us on on three sides. We're nothing more than just a bunch of Kiss fans, like you guys, like well, everybody and, else. We and, we we just have stories, and we just sit down and talk and let people share their story. But we're just we're we're the as crazy. I mean, come on, we've been doing this for twelve years. Once a week, no, talking about kids. 10, isn't it? 11, oh, actually. Oh, Jesus 11 years. 11 years, <laughs> once a week. And we're still talking about basically the same fucking band. Mm-hmm. I'm the first to look in the mirror and go, I'm a fucking nut job. Well, and, and Michael and I, when we first started this, we based it on the belief that 99% of the KISS fans that we've met or have interacted with or would like to meet are cool, normal people. They are badass, awesome humans. Yes. It's It's great. When I was at Lost in San Francisco, bumped into a fellow Kiss fan who I know from online. And it's just like, here we are at a Wasp show, you know, and we're talking Kiss and Wasp. And, and, you know, I have very seldom met a fan in real life. I'm like, that's a dick. I've met people who behave like that really? on the FAQ and then you meet them in person. They're awesome to talk to have great stories. Um, stop trying to be something. You're, you're not playing a role, bring your no, stories to the table, bring it with honesty I'm and sure. a willingness to listen to someone else. And you may learn something. You may enjoy something and you may get a smile or a chuckle when chuckle could be good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Julian, hats off to you, all the books you've written, the 20 years you've put into Kiss FAQ Online. You know, I, I know firsthand that's that's a commitment. That takes devotion to do that. And, and there's so much I, I, content I, I, on it. There really is. I mean, you guys, if you, if you haven't checked it out, you should. You can go you deep know, just, into everything outside of the message board on Kiss yeah, FAQ. There's the so much board. there. Everything else out there is great. Just stay off the message board. Yep. So there you go. That's All it. right. Julian, once again, thank you so much. And uh, everybody, go get your go copy. Pick it up. Well, I want yeah, to thank you guys for having hysteria. me on. Thank you for having me as a return guest on the show. And I want to thank everyone out there who supported any one of my projects over the years. Um, The stuff I've done with Tim, the stuff I've done without Tim, Mask Hysteria, or even for just participating on the board or listening to my podcast. Thank you. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. you Happy Labor Day to all the Americans. Nothing to say. Julian's an awesome guest every time. And we've said it time and time again, his books are top notch. This one is an incredible, it literally is like a scrapbook. Yeah. We talk if you're somebody who it. doesn't like words, this has got the pictures then. Get this. Yeah. This is about a period of time in KISS 
that was all about change. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that Julian put together a book about all that, that's incredible. Yeah, and we talk all about it, obviously, because you just watched it, and I can't wait to get into it and read it, and I'm not a reader. So thank you, Julian. Homework. What's your favorite book by Julian? Mine's Odyssey so far. but Odyssey is a great book if you really want to get into The Elder. Yeah. Um, if you've got Mask Hysteria, what do you think of it? Mm-hmm. Julian's new book, Mask Hysteria. Mm-hmm. And finally, if there was a book that you wanted Julian to do, what, what would that topic be? That's a good question because we'll send all the answers to Julian. It can be the most minute little thing. But what would you like Julian to dig into and research? All right, everybody, that's it. Three sides of the coin. Uh, next week is is a holiday week, but I think we're going to record. We can fucking record. We'll figure out something. Mark may not be here again, but yeah, who well, cares? As, as long as he's not booking the guest and not showing up, I'm cool. Well, there is no guest next week, so now he'll probably show up. Right. Unless he's got tour rehearsals with Warren. No, 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 no. He's not with Warren any longer. Pretty Boy Floyd? Did you hear? Yeah. Yeah. They offered him $5 more a week. Is he going to dye his hair? I don't know. I don't know. If any of our listeners can dig into it with Mark and find out what he's doing with Pretty Boy Floyd, let us know. Yeah, please message him. Because he won't tell us. He won't tell us. And he'll play dumb with you. Trust me. He'll act like nothing's happening. Those assholes. That's what he's going to say. But the thing is, he just doesn't want to get out. I probably couldn't have Probably contractually, he can't can't acknowledge it. But see if you can make him acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it. Three sides of the coin. We're out of here. We'll see you next week. If you have something to say, leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515. Voices for three sides of the coin. Provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.